0: Welcome to the Hey CTO podcast. I'm Pedro Torres. And I'm Sara Gonçalves. And this is a space where you can get to know a little bit better the members of the CTO Portugal community. Today, our guest is Simone Basso. Simone, thank you for accepting our invitation. It's a real pleasure to have you here in today's show. Thank you. Thank you very much for inviting me. No, absolutely. Simone, um, you know, we, we know that you, you landed um, this year in, um, in Lisbon. And so, definitely, you know, we are really excited to have someone like you in our community and already making interesting contributions. Can you, you know, for people that don't know who you are, can you tell us a little bit more about, about yourself and, you know, and your current responsibilities?
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. So, I moved
0: to Lisbon uh,
1: as a CTPO uh, for a indie campus. Uh, I'm an engineer by background. So, I decided to become an engineer, a software engineer, when I was 13 years old. I was going to my my cousin, my older cousin's house, and they they used to go to an IT school, and I saw them programming on the computer. But back in the days of the CRT monitors and uh, (laughs) uh, basic programming, and I really, really, really liked that. So uh, from very, very young, I said, "Okay, that's that's what I want to do." So I I went to second technical secondary school. I started computer science, uh, and then I didn't go to uni. So I, found, I started my first job when I was 18, working for a consultancy company, building e-commerce platform in the Microsoft ecosystem. Uh, I, 18, 19, I was working for like a telecom, uh, big, big corporation building e-commerce website. I had no idea what I was doing, but that's I <laughs> so. So I, I did that for like six, seven years in Italy. Uh, so e-commerce content management systems and then i was quite tired of traveling all around italy Uh, i bought my first suit and tie when i was uh, 19 to to, to, uh, (laughs) to go to my first client and i was very tired of it so i said screw it i'm moving and i moved to london right so uh, i moved to london i found a job through a former colleague of mine that had just moved to london a couple of months before Mm -hmm. uh working for a i was doing like a email marketing for Manchester United and uh, like some very big Super clients. Cool. I was working a very, very small company. Mm. But even then I realized after two, three months that I was doing very basic stuff. My English was very, 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 very shit, very shit. Uh, I could barely communicate. So part of the package, mm. they were paying for me to learn English. That's why it was quite appealing mm. moving to London, learning English. Uh, I was there for like uh, six months. Uh, and then I realized that the technical challenge wasn't interesting enough for me. It was pretty basic to build uh, email, uh, email campaigns. Uh, and then I met a very young entrepreneur. So he raised money through the Fleming family. The Fleming family is the one that owns the James Bond brand. Uh, uh, he raised money mm-hmm. through them and we started to build uh, social network verticals for, uh, we built one for pregnant women so all the cycle from before you decide to get pregnant to the uh, maternity and the few years after uh, it was a old content management system with community forum and all that stuff uh, that was sold to Mothercare, which is like one of the biggest uh, brands in terms of uh, kids, kids clothes and 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 so on. Then we built another one around book lovers. So back in the days, uh, uh, there were a couple of these startups and we're trying to build a, it was, it was called Book Army. So it was another vertical on uh, book reading, sharing knowledge around books and, uh, and all oh, stuff. Wow. And that was sold to HarperCollins. So I went to work for HarperCollins for a couple of years uh, following the project. Then I got bored. Uh, then, I, <laughs> then, then I ended up working on a, for a, a, one of the largest, the, uh, um, is um, re, um house renting and selling mm-hmm. portals yeah. in the UK. So uh find the property in prime location. So I was there for a few years. We built intelligence software for estate agents to uh manage their stock and manage their inventory, understand what properties that they wanted to, to do. Then uh they got bought by Zupla, so I was made redundant, happily made redundant. I was about to leave, so I, I kept <laughs> I, I was actually in Japan back then. My wife is Japanese, so I was in Japan. Oh, and wow. When I was in Japan, I told you, okay, maybe you can accept voluntary redundancy and we pay you three, four months to do nothing. Okay, I'll take it. Uh, and, then, <laughs> and, then I, and then I joined Justin. So Justin to me was a really the first big, uh, small startup that really made it big. So I joined Just when the tech team was about 50 people. When I left six years after, I was managing a team of about 200 people in between engineering and product.
0: It was a huge growth.
1: Uh, the tech team was like 550 people at, at wow. six years after. So hyper growth, we went from being everybody in a small office in a, in a London building to have engineering team in Australia, Canada, uh, Ukraine, couple of locations in the UK. Massive learning, I think it, it, it was super intense, but it was super fun, massive learning. Uh, then I got tired of that as well. So I was there for six years, I think six <laughs> years in a company, in is quite a long time. It is. Uh, and I moved to Berlin to work for another marketplace for uh, uh, tools and uh, activities. It's called Get Your Guide. It's like one of the largest marketplaces uh, for tools and activities in the world. And then I was in charge of the marketplace product development, so the consumer experience and the um, uh, supplier experience, the APIs, the catalog and mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, and then I got tired of that as well after three years and I moved to Portugal. Uh, and now here I am uh, working wow. in the numbers. Um, Maybe maybe I can tell you a little bit about in Camper. Sure, the, absolutely, we would love to know a little bit more. In. So, uh, in Camper is a Portuguese company. It was created about eight years ago by uh, a guy from Porto. He was traveling in Australia, and he saw a lot of this road trip uh, thing happening in camper van. So when he came back, he decided to kind of replicate uh, the thing. So he started he started building his own camper van. So he started by building his own camper van. So, uh, He started building two or three. And the company in scale, and eight year after we have about uh, I think two thousand camper pan that we own and manage uh, throughout all of Europe. We opened a depot in the U.S. a couple of months ago. Um, yeah, so very interesting stuff. In 2021, we started to do a marketplace as well. Uh, so if you have your own RV, you can rent it out to our platform. Uh, we started to sell RVs as well because, like any rental company, you buy the cars, you rent the cars, you sell the cars. RV business model, and as you can see on our website, we have a section where we are helping people with road trips. Uh, I think one of the hardest things for uh, on, on your first road trip in a in a foreign country, in a foreign city, is actually. Where do i go what do i do what are the cool things to do so that is what we're trying to build up as well uh, i joined as CTPO, so uh, the team now is about 25 people it was half the size uh, roughly when i joined we're trying to double we're trying to get to about 50 people as fast CTPO. as possible not because i'm crazy and i like hiring people i think it's actually super, <laughs> super 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 tough hiring people Indeed. Uh, but because we have lots of products to build so yeah. we want to try and move fast and be the be more far power to to people who are building.
2: No, sure. Wow, well, that's quite a
1: journey.
2: A, I got. To, <laughs> I was trying to make a list on my head about so many scopes that you already worked on. <laughs> I'm, I'm impressed. And I, but on my head, I have a question: What drives you like to find the next opportunity? Mm-hmm. Like from just Eats to indie campers, it's like different scopes, and even the others that you worked before. What is I already understood that you don't want to feel bored and <laughs> tired.
0: <laughs> a pattern, but, definitely a pattern. Yes,
2: yeah, that's a pattern. <laughs> but I question, how, what's the drive behind... Mm, yeah, that's the company I, 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 I think... I, I'm feeling that it's my... I will have an opportunity, nice opportunity there.
1: So there are a couple of characteristics of companies that I really like. So one is uh, I really like founder-led companies. I think Indie Campus is one. I think uh, Get Your Guide was definitely one. Uh, just it was not one anymore, but the CEO we had back then felt like if, actually he was employee number one in the UK. The company was a, a Danish company, just born in Denmark, but then he really exploded in the US. And the CEO, when I joined, was the first guy that joined as a sales guy in the, in, the, in the UK, sorry, not the US. Uh, so I like that because uh, It brings a different level of understanding about the market, the market opportunities, the the vision, uh, the mission, the goals. Uh, To me, that is very, very important. Uh, Two, if you look at my last three companies, actually, they look very, very different, but they're actually very, very similar because they're all marketplaces Uh, and the marketplace dynamics even even before that, when I was a final property in prime location in the end, it's a marketplace for estate agents. The dynamics are fairly similar. The acquisition <laughs> side, the demand side, uh, uh, what is cool about both indie campus and uh, uh, get your guide. And it didn't happen. I just did when I was there, but it, it happened after. It's kind of all the marketplaces are moving to a hybrid model where it is half managed by you and half through suppliers. So in the mm-hmm. campus, as that model, we have our own bands, but we're also marketplace. Get Your Guide, we, st- in the last year I was there, we started with Get Your Guide Originals, which were walking tours operated by us, mm-hmm. uh, or partners in the top destination, top cities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for just it, it's like the hybrid model of doing your own delivery versus having restaurants doing their own deliveries.
0: Mm-hmm. I think
1: the delivery Took it to a very different level because they even had their own kitchens. So that is really like a the super integrated vertical model and
0: hybrid. But no fashion. Yeah, sure. that,
1: that is what is fun about marketplaces.
0: Yeah, wow. interesting. And tell me one thing. So you were in Italy that from Italy you moved to London. From London you moved to Berlin. From Berlin you moved to Lisbon. So here's the thing. So did you choose a place to move? and search for the opportunity on that specific place? Or were you driven more for the opportunity? And then you say, hey, guess what? We are moving to Sydney. And so you go. So what was kind of you know the, the main driver behind moving uh, to different countries?
1: I actually flew to Sydney when I was at the state because oh, <laughs> it, was <an> interesting, <laughs> it was an interesting opportunity over there. So I went and checked what, what was happening there. But <laughs> No, I, to London I moved because uh, London was interesting as a as a city. I mean, I come from a very small village in uh, in Italy. It's a three thousand people. Uh, I don't call my friend. I go to the bar. Like <laughs> there that, that is a very different way of, uh, of of living, and I wanted to try something different. So, London, I really it was a bit of an opportunistic move as well because I, I knew someone that was working in the same company that I was joining so okay. <laughs> I, I was 24 I think when I moved to London I I, I knew I was a baby like uh, <laughs> I, I, you're naive right you didn't know what was no, going to <laughs> naive. Uh, I, you, I, I, for the first few months, I lived in a flat where we had more rats than people in the flat. It was a, <laughs> like, it was, it was crazy. Like, it was <laughs> crazy. Uh, then I grew up. So, <laughs> <laughs> then I grew up. Berlin, I moved to Berlin because, uh, because of the opportunity. So, okay. I, when I, I decided to leave London a little bit because uh, I was tired of commuting, it was, this was pre pandemic. I was very tired of commuting in and out of London, oh, uh, nice Lon- London is, as, is a, I, I, I love the city, but it's very stressful, it it is. Is, like, it I, I learned how to run, in London nobody walks, everybody runs, because mm-hmm. you're always late for the train, you're always late for the tube, if you miss the tube you have to wait, and everybody's always constantly running. Like yeah. I. I when my friends were coming and visiting, they were always telling me, like, why, why do you walk so fast? It's like you live <laughs> at like much faster yeah. pace. Uh, Berlin, I moved there because uh, I wanted to move away from London post-Brexit. I was a bit disappointed mm-hmm. with the whole, uh, Brexit vote, and I, and I wanted to change. And I started to look around about what are the opportunities out there. That was uh, three and a half, four years ago. If you look at Europe... Where are the tech opportunities is mainly London. London is a tier one. It's like the San Francisco uh, of Europe. Europe. Then you have tier two, which is a little bit of a Berlin, Stockholm, Paris. Maybe Uh, Amsterdam as well. Amsterdam as well. I think the the booking ecosystem and takeaway.com ecosystem. This is where the opportunities were. So uh, I... I get your guide in Berlin, which was a, an amazing opportunity. Great company, great founders, great people. Like my peers, I get your guide was were coming from uh, LinkedIn, Spotify, BlackBerry, oh, wow. like super part, super exciting, uh, talented team with a uh, lots of learnings. Uh, and then I decided to move to Southern Europe <laughs> because I was tired of the. Of the weather and the rain. <laughs> <laughs> so we
2: uh, need some sun.
1: <laughs> when the reached out to me, I told them, like, if you find me a great product, with a great company in the sunshine, <laughs> you're uh, sold. <laughs> I, I, will, I will listen to you. Uh, <laughs> this came up. I think a couple of opportunities in uh, Asia, Singapore mm-hmm. came up, but uh, Portugal is good.
0: No, for sure. and, and since you're right what you're right is Japanese, APEC would also make a lot of sense because of that for sure. No, yeah, I yeah. see your point. No, very interesting. Wow,
2: you are on the right place. We have sunshine here.
0: <laughs> oh, that's for sure. uh, <laughs> uh, I, I was in Caparica on the
1: weekend. You know, I was still, ah. uh, in in uh, shirt and, uh, and when the sun is out, it's amazing. So.
2: Yeah. Still November when we still have
1: <laughs> no for there. sure. When I look at the pictures from Instagram from my Berlin colleagues, uh, I definitely do not regret moving. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, and well, going back a little bit about your your journey. So, in some point on time, you had to step uh, step away from like a developer or a more individual contributor, right, to a role of leadership. Do you remember how it was? that transition
1: challenges uh, fears i think uh, when i was younger i was so naive i think it, it happened so gradually that i almost didn't notice it right so this happened maybe when i was a find a proper find a proper but even before that i started to get into hiring a little bit uh the it was more of a technical leadership role that then gradually over the year became a management role. I think it's very, leadership is very, very different from management. You don't need to be a manager to be a leader. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, I think the real big difference was when I moved to Just Eat. When I joined as a manager, uh, I joined as a team manager, a very small team with four or five people reporting to me. And that is when I learned more about the importance of uh, one-on-one and performance review and feedback culture and all that stuff that didn't exist in any of the other previous companies I worked for. Even if I was uh, leading teams and leading people, but maybe more from a technical point of view than a people point of view.
0: Mm.
2: And you mentioned something there. A leader is not uh, a manager. What are the biggest mm-hmm.
1: differences for yeah. your point so, of view? The, the dual career track in technology yeah. is the classic individual contributor and the management part, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. up until you get to a senior engineer, you are still um, somewhere in the middle. Then at yeah. some point, you need to make up your mind on, do you want to move down like a staff principal level uh, contribution, where? I think you become more of a project manager, technical project manager to a degree, mm-hmm. because uh, you, are, you, have, you, you are taking on more responsibility and you have impact on a larger number of people sure. and parts of the company, mm-hmm. and that you're leading. But to lead, you need to be the organizer. You need to be the one that creates and sets the direction and, and create the clarity and the plan and goes down and asks the question. You don't need to be a manager to do that. The management part is uh, when you start caring about people. Uh, There is a lot of uh, responsibility in terms of delivery, making sure that your team is delivering. Uh, But it's less about creating the plan. It's about more making sure that the plan gets delivered. Uh, And then the people, 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 uh, making sure that they're getting feedback, that you understand how people want to grow making sure that you are matching what they expect and what you expect from them Mm -hmm. Uh, very often there is a misalignment and when there is a misalignment is you should very openly talk about it because if you talk you either decide to part ways because the match isn't there or you find a way to find a better match which is more fruitful for both Uh, is a lot less about the technical aspect is a lot more about the people
0: I, I, I even say, you know, that difficult conversations, you know, to your point, you know, the, the early you can have them, the better, because they don't get as difficult as they as they can actually be if you delay, you know, that conversation because it's a conflict or you're delivering some bad news because of some sort of deadline. You know, the, the, the longer you wait, the, the harder the, it gets. The bigger the problem becomes. So. Oh, no, absolutely. No, I couldn't agree more. Um, and tell us one thing, Simone. So you mentioned, you know, that definitely if we take a look to your career, you know, so IndieCampers, um, Get Your Guide, um, Just Eat, they're like cool companies, right? Like, and if you know, they are companies that kind of really started in a kind of ex- exciting way. They pretty much, you know, have a high potential to, for, for growth. Um, and, and you even mentioned that you, you, you see yourself enjoying working for companies where you see the founders and, uh, and, and things like that. Obviously that's very, very different from you know that good old enterprise company that definitely has some 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 different challenges. So do you see yourself one day working for a big enterprise, you know, the oracles of this life, so to speak? Or you know, you kind of you identified what you would call your 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 own turf, you know, kind of where you thrive, and you don't you don't have that curiosity to to explore that.
1: Working for Oracle is called retirement, right? (laughs) 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 Maybe. I think think what I like about the scale-up and startup scale-up is the buzz, is the opportunity to really create a big impact. Uh, And if you're smart, if you keep your eye open, uh, when companies are growing, there are always opportunities for you to grow inside the company to learn new things to learn from others uh, that is the coolest thing i think and maybe i'm wrong because i actually have never worked for a very very large company i think it's one of the uh one day i might want to do it just to see if it is actually as boring as they say or or, or or if i'm wrong uh but i would like to work for a google or for a, i maybe i would go more for a more modern tech company than Oracle, but I would like to see how it is done inside. Because I I think if if you look at Microsoft, especially in the last few years, they've been soaking up huge amount of talent, huge amount of talent. You see super well-respected people that are joining these larger companies. These are not crazy people. Like these are people that, are creating frameworks used by millions of people, and they might be a bit slower because they need to be a bit slower because they cannot take uh, as much risk when you're creating something that is used by billions of people. And the impact is maybe harder for a single person to, be, to influence, but the overall project you are working on has an impact on uh, vast amount of people. So never say never. I don't. Maybe not the next move, but one day, maybe.
2: Yeah, I like that reflection about uh, that. In a in a big company, you, you, you also continue to create a big impact, of of course, and it's just a different. Uh, maybe they are different challenges. And um, once we talk, since we are talking hear about big companies, small companies. You mentioned already sometimes that you, and, and I checked your LinkedIn, and you also mentioned that you were able to to to, to grow a team from 30 to 90. And uh, from the, the things that you are sharing, it seems that you already did that more than once. What were, how, how it was that? What were the challenges uh, and the biggest le- lessons, for instance, that you took from one place to another?
1: I think it's. It's tough, and it's getting even tougher. I think <laughs> okay. the, the market is absolutely crazy nowadays. Uh, what did I learn? I think uh, you need to have structure because you need to scale the process. Mm-hmm. So, to to hire ten people, you need to do hundred. You need to interview hundred people. Like you have a conversion of 10 to one, probably even less for, for some mm-hmm. problems. So you kind of need to industrialize the process and you need to make sure that you leverage the people that are the talent that is working with you to help you with the recruitment process. Mm-hmm. So you need to teach them what are the technical skills and what are the behavioral skills and how what question to ask and how you interpret the question, the, the answer, which is actually the hardest part. Asking the question is easy. Understanding what is a good answer is actually the, the, the complex. You need to industrialize the process. You need to have the clear steps. You need to farm things out. Uh, you need to have a good talent acquisition team. I think that this has been the toughest part. As I moved to Lisbon, I, I didn't have a recruiter working with me. I was, I, I've been working with external recruitment agencies. Mm-hmm. Okay. I've just hired uh, an HRBP, which is helping me with uh, managing the recruitment agencies and hiring uh, recruiters directly for us. Uh, it has been s- much slower than I was expecting, uh, and I needed a lot more help than I hoped I would. I think I find it especially difficult when you move from uh, one country to another or from one stack technology stack to another. Where you cannot leverage your network too much. Sure. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, yeah.
1: Relocating—it's uh, kind of a bizarre because uh, when you look at Lisbon, it is the number one city in the nomad list, uh, target list. Right? So it looks yep. like the entire world is moving to Lisbon. But then, when when you go out and source people from Northern Europe or from other countries, the Vast majority of people reject because they don't want to move. So either I'm sourcing the wrong people or the match isn't there, or people that are moving to Lisbon are actually working there remotely back from the companies in their home country. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think COVID has uh done a lot of these, where there is a lot of remote working, people that come and live in a country where it's cheaper to live, but then maintain a, a a German or a UK salary. Uh, or, or, clo- or a US salary or close to it, uh, mm. which makes it very, very difficult for, uh, mm. for, for for Portuguese companies to hire. I think mm-hmm. oh, that's my experience. So, this is one of the reasons why I joined the, the, this community because I want to hear more from mm. other CTOs in Portugal and see how they are dealing with it.
0: No, <clears throat> you know, and absolutely, and, and Simone, to, to your point. It's, it's really tough, right? Because I think that before COVID, probably, you know, the competition would be just inside Portugal. It would be just inside Spain. And obviously some countries have more attractiveness to, to invite people to move. Although I know that, for instance, there is this mental barrier um, of saying, okay, I'm in London and I'm earning, I don't know, 100,000 um, pounds per year and then all of a sudden if i'm only getting 60,000 euros per year in lisbon oh that's a downgrade of life because people don't understand the cost of living how how cheaper it is you know to go out to have dinner you know to, to go out for some, some beers to, to get an apartment and so on and so forth so i think that is this kind of mental barrier of saying oh my god i'm going to earn less you know but just like i usually say you know what you earn is what you have on your bank account it's not actually what it comes on your paycheck right because <laughs> the paycheck can be whatever it is but at the end of the month what's left that's your earning yeah. right that's what, what you can next say so, is
1: what you say, not what you earn that's what
0: is ex- no absolutely <laughs> and, and so i think that that's definitely one of the things and now you know just like you said with covid you know you're in portugal and you can work for the united states you can work for england you can work you know for pretty much any country in the world so i think that the competition got got much uh, much harder right now than it was okay
1: half of my team is actually currently in between brazil nigeria egypt and i have a guy in india we i started to do a lot more sourcing in uh uh, africa i think africa is a gigantic talent pool for tech nigeria ghana kenya Mm -hmm. turkey as well to a degree in a very similar time zone to europe i believe that like brazil and south america will align to North America, so the US and Canada, but in terms of a uh, time zone and salaries, uh, and I think Africa is our our goldmine for uh, for talents because it is aligned to to Europe, and as remote work, I think it works quite well.
0: No, indeed, no, mm-hmm. for sure. And tell us one thing, Simone. You know, we can't, we know, we can't get, you know, get you, um, you know, getting get away without asking this question. You know, so. You're right now, you're responsible for engineering and for product. Mm-hmm. So pretty much, you know, I'm pretty sure that I don't know if you actually have two different hats, you know, one blue and one, one red that you use one in the morning and one in the afternoon. Uh, but definitely there needs to be some interesting challenges around wearing two hats. Right, yeah, so we always talk about this um, healthy tension between product and engineering and you know, and that healthy discussion, should we ship more features? should we address technical debt? And you know, in your position, you pretty much should have interesting discussions with yourself in front of a mirror. So <laughs> <laughs> tell us tell us a little bit more about that conflict you know of, of those two roles.
1: Uh, I was about to give you the same analogy of me, myself, looking in the mirror and asking myself, <laughs> what, are you, what are you doing? Uh, I think what, yeah. I, what I'm noticing is uh, products is a lot more about aligning with the business. So I'm spending, I, I, I've struggled for the first few months, really. I mean, I, it's a new business. You need to understand what is happening. It's, sure. It takes a little bit of time to understand what is a, what is important to, and what is not. I think as any founder of that company, the founder is actually the CBO because uh, they have the vision, right? And, uh, and it becomes the job of the top product person to take that vision, break it down, and then kind of find a way to prioritize it i have to say that in india I'm, I'm privileged because uh, uh, i have a couple of other c-level that i work with that are responsible for the rental side and the sales side of the of the company that are very accessible are very collaborative so we're working very very closely mm-hmm. to understand uh, what do we need to do for the business? What are the important deliverables? And we're trying to find better ways to prioritize. Mm-hmm. Me as a, as the person in charge of engineering have to make sure that we're surfacing the key tech debts and uh, in the teams that are delivering, we are present like 20, 20, 30% of the time the team on like that, and engineering, and bugs, and all the stuff, and then the rest needs to be focused on the on the business. When I again is maybe an easier conversation that I had in the past with other product pa- partners because <laughs> I can actually make the call. But I, you, you you don't you I've always been business focused, so you don't get away from uh, like if if you talk to your business partners, I mean there is no way you can tell them. you cannot deliver for them what the business needs like also i think when you work for a scale-up and startup it attracts a certain type of people that really have to care not only about the engineering challenge but about the company goal and vision and if you care about it you know what is right like you you know that you you fix your are impact because it is really important to take that because that is the thing that slows you down and you don't want to be slow oh for sure so that's that's <laughs> the but it's not easy i mean and then you make a lot of mistakes and then you fight a lot with your business partners and then uh usually yeah. I, I, don't, I don't have the ultimate power to make all the decisions. So it, it's always a com- <laughs> I always have someone else to have a conversation with.
2: <laughs> yeah, and, and you mentioned that there are mistakes that happen, of course, and they are always learning. If you had to give some tips for people that are, have an ambition to become CTO one day, what tips would you give them? Interesting. Hmm.
1: I think uh, read a lot, study a lot, if you can go and be the number two at a company of like twice the size that you feel comfortable in managing, one of the reasons, I mean, I'll I'll do my personal example, one of the reasons why I, although it was always in my goal to become a CTO, even when I was a Justiz. I decided not to take a CTO job, but but to go to uh, get your guys a director of engineering, because I wanted to try again at a certain scale in a different environment. To make sure that I really got it, <laughs> so uh, I think it's very very difficult if you go from uh, managing a team of five to being a CTO of a team of twenty, and you've never seen a team of twenty before. Oh yeah. Uh, take your time take your time go through your experiences i i i learn by doing so i i I, i'm a very proud i didn't go to uni right so i don't have the 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 academic background of your study and then you do it i have the uh pull up your sleeves you do it and then you do it again
0: and then you do it again so (laughs) It's the best way of learning, right? That's at least what I, what what you know, it's actually a funny thing that we, we say here in Portugal, that is, you know, um, the people that know how to do it, they are working on the industry. The people that don't know how to do it, they are in university teaching others. <laughs> you know, that's actually a say here in Portugal, yeah. you know. So to be honest, you know, uh, I've, I've already met like remarkable engineers that didn't go to, to the university um, and, and, and they, they are, they are pretty much world-class, you know? And, and so mm-hmm. I think that there is definitely a, a, a very strong bias thinking, oh no, you need to go to a great university to have your degree to be successful. And, you know, and there, there are actually, fortunately, there are plenty of people that actually can prove that at least that's not mandatory and that other ways to be successful, mm-hmm. which is great. Yep.
2: Yeah, and I think it's all related with the mindset that people have. If you have a, a growth mindset and always be curious and wants to learn
0: things, I think that it, <laughs> plays a big part of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Very well. Um, I think you know that it's time for us to, to go to, you know, to, to, the, to the two questions, I think. Mm-hmm. Right, Sarah? Do you agree?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Let's go? go for
0: the last two that are more personal and fun
2: so we can get to, to know you a bit better. And uh, our first question is: If you could have dinner with someone, anyone in the world, who would that person be?
1: I think nowadays, for uh, every technical person, it, it, it must be Elon Musk, right? I don't think uh, I don't you can pick <laughs> anyone else. <laughs> it's I, mandatory. Isma is is nuts. <laughs> is is visionary he sells bullshit like no one else but then he also delivers some of the bullshit that he sells uh he's always late i mean if you look at tesla they're always behind on the on the yeah next year we'll do uh self-driving cars and it's always a year after even the 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 solar power tiles the solar roof Mm -hmm. they're actually not even in the market, who was presented three years ago because they were so ambitious with the goal that what they wanted to deliver is not deliverable with the current mm-hmm. technology. So they're, now they're actually installing normal uh, solar panels and they're basically selling the batteries. But the vision that is got, the craziness, I, I want to sit down with him for hours listening about Mars. It doesn't make any sense, yet it does. <laughs> Yet it does. I mean, someone that is so crazy to build rocket ships—it just—I don't—I don't don't see anyone else in the world being as crazy, as ambitious, and as—yeah. Yeah, Yeah.
2: it's a mind without limits.
1: (laughs) It (laughs) is
0: right because if, if even if you think about you know Bill Gates, Steve Jobs. Definitely, they, they, you know, they they are people that, you know, that they are parts of history. There's no way you can talk about, you know, software engineering, computers without talking about these two names, you know, but within all that innovation, it was within reach, right? Like we are talking about making awesome computers with a, an operating system or having like phones with tons of stuff when everyone wanted the, the smallest possible phone, you know, someone says, oh, no, people want actually big phones with applications. Um, but, you know, again, everything really kind of you know within our possibilities so it was just about thinking different elon musk is about just thinking crazy right like okay we are just going to have you know vacations on mars because i believe in that it's like what (laughs) and there you go right so it's it's yeah it's out of the box
1: yeah i i I don't uh i don't agree with everything he says i i think is there is lots of stuff that is very very weird but like it's I mean, you cannot not want to have a chat with him, like a... It
0: must uh, be fun for real. So, last question. So, here's the thing. So, you're Italian. So, you're pretty much from the country of, I would risk to say, the most famous cuisine or at least most famous dishes, right? Pizza, pasta, all of that. I don't think there is any sort of country that, that don't appreciate Italian cuisine Um, You've worked actually at Just Eat, which is a, you know, (laughs) a food delivery company, Uh, you know, you've lived in London, in Berlin, and now in Lisbon, you know, so from this, you know, Italian, Portuguese, German, and British rates, you know, the food. That you prefer. And, 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 I'll
1: throw, and I'll throw in that I have a Japanese wife. Oh! Japanese. I
0: actually,
1: I, I, talking, <laughs> talking about food, I always consider like, uh, philosophically Japanese cuisine very similar to Italian cuisine oh, because it okay. is very simple food. It is extremely regional and it is very much based on the quality of the ingredients. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you compare Italian food with uh, French food, like Italian food is simple. Uh, so every country has amazing food. Even the UK, where everybody says, uh, yeah, food in the UK shit. <laughs> they have good stuff. I mean, Indian curry is actually <laughs> very, very brilliant. <laughs> uh, fish, apple pie, uh, pub food in general in the UK is actually very, very good. A good Cornish pastry is very, very good. The same in Germany, there's needs the kebab, the Donner kebab in Berlin, is phenomenal, right? Uh, I think Japan. You've got the mochi, you've got the ramen. I, I love Okinawa. So the islands are the very very south between uh, mm-hmm. uh, Japan and, and Taiwan. If you go down there, they have something they call the sea grape, which is like a, an algae that looks like a a grape vine, with very very small, mm-hmm. but that just like melting in your mouth. And they do like champuru, is like a mix of pork and algae. incredible food very very different from the rest of japan and then i think in portugal i mean sardines i i love a good plate of sardines by the beach (laughs) i think the quality of the vegetables and the and the fruit i think is is incredible i think it's actually southern europe beat northern europe on on vegetables and and fruit like 10 mil uh, I'm a big big fan of the roast chicken so uh, like one of, one of my staples on, on saturday nights is a is a roast chicken with a rice and, and fried potatoes so <laughs> I, I cannot I cannot rank it I can I rank it yeah, italian food is the best <laughs> Great choice Great choice Great <laughs> <Very> choice
0: <safe. laughs> No absolutely I could I could I, I could look my kids are completely with you on that Every time we have pizza night, you know it's a it's a, it's a night of of of, of calmness and, and and peacefulness with everyone's happy. I, I actually I actually separate Italian food from pizza because
1: okay. they're like two different categories. Me, when I'm not in Italy, I never go to an Italian restaurant. Mm, the only Italian place where I go to is a pizza place because pizza is the almost the only thing that you cannot bake at home. Okay. Because for proper pizza you need a a, a oven that gets to 500 degrees. Oh yeah, and the home oven doesn't get there, so you cannot bake proper pizza at home. So that's it. That is where my split is. Everything else I can do at home, <laughs> <laughs> or, or I go home to my mom. So ah, <laughs> like man. like a proper Italian.
0: <laughs> no, absolutely. I couldn't. I couldn't disagree. No, for sure. Um, no, thank you so much, you know, um, yeah, thank Simone, you. thank you so much. It was, it was great um, having you here um, today, um, you know, and for everyone that is listening to us, you know, thank you. Thank you so much for watching. I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Um, we hope that we got, you know, insights, inspiration. You learned a little bit more about tech, but also about awesome food from very several, several countries, you know. So <laughs> we hope to see you again our next episode of Hi CTO. And so, you know, see you around. Thank you so much. Have a good one. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Bye.